0: Wolfing Down
1: Food Science. Welcome back everyone to our second season of Wolfing Down Food Science. We've got an amazing season planned for you and it's all about Guess what?
0: Food science with the side of texture, <laughs> texture,
1: <laughs> and structure. We'll
0: put that and on the structure.
1: side. Yes. <laughs>
0: Take me to a dinner party that serves texture and structure on their side. That sounds awesome and delicious.
1: Which kind of has to do with texture. Yeah, definitely related.
0: (laughs) It's amazing to think about how food preferences can change based on just the structure or the texture of that food product. It could be a make or break.
1: So we were just having this discussion about the idea of Textures that we just naturally love and textures we naturally don't like so much. So uh so Paige, what's the best in terms of food texture as far as you're concerned?
2: Oh, something crunchy for sure. Something Even if I have something smooth and creamy, I want something crunchy in there. So granola on yogurt, um toffee on ice cream, anything crunchy. <laughs> and crunchy chocolate chip cookies. This is a big debate at our house.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Not not those. I like to say that my husband likes them um, rare. <laughs> Barely cooked, still cold in the middle.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I feel like I'm on his team because I, I really <laughs> like textures where you have things that are uh, thick and soft. I, I really enjoy that. I'm, like the, the soft chocolate chip cookie. I'll go for that every time over the crunchy <laughs> chocolate chip cookie. And ice cream, you know, those, those really thick, ultra-premium ice creams, absolutely love that. So I think that's probably my top preference, is something that's really sort of a, a, a thickened uh, consistency.
0: Ooh, it sounds like we have a real battle of the textures on our hands. Oh, yeah. I
1: absolutely enjoy that, closely followed by chewy. So a really good sourdough bread that really that really gives, you know, your your mouth a workout. Just trying to tear it apart with all that wonderful chewiness to it, I think that would be a close second in terms of in terms of, of texture.
2: As long as it has a, a crunchy crust.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think that's yeah, crunchy crust is is fine. Yeah. I I think it's just that that chewiness in the in the middle that that I, I really like. Now mm-hmm least favorite texture what do you think what's your least favorite texture
0: Hmm. for least favorite I think I would have to go with multiple textures at once Um, correct me if this is not a actual classification as a texture but I don't like when there's a lot of chunkies with liquids and I don't like when things don't intermix well with each other it kind of puts me off for example um, kombucha sometimes has seeds uh, or even tapioca balls at the bottom of the drink and that puts me off sometimes because it seems like the texture just doesn't match with one another my mouth gets a little confused oh yeah I think my least favorite texture
2: would probably be one that is inappropriate to what you're eating. So like the mealy apple instead of the crispy apple, um, that, that type of, of thing. And slimy is not that great either. <laughs>
0: designated with certain textures. And when those rules are broken, you immediately notice slimy apples just do not sound right. And I know if I have anything but crunch to my apple, I'm a little skeptical.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, instances where I, yeah, if I if I have an expectation that that's, that that's going to be the case, um, then it's OK. But uh, yeah, if, if I don't have an ex- expectation of that, then yeah, slimy is is probably down at the bottom of of that list. Well, yeah,
2: I love I love okra, but not if you pull it out of the container and it has that long, slimy, snotty bit at the bottom that's coming off
1: of it. So yeah, I love I love the Spanish word for this. It's called baboso. Like that's <laughs> that's that word for slimy. I just love that word. Uh, <laughs> So that's really a great description of this uh, this drink that I tried. uh, One of the first times that we went out uh, for breakfast in Mexico City, it was a mixture of orange juice and cactus. And the cactus actually supplies a lot of soluble fiber. And so there is a certain slime factor. If you know that it's there, it's okay. But I was not expecting it. I was thinking orange juice. And it was really thick and slimy. It was delicious. <laughs> the flavor was fine, but it was just so thick and slimy. I was like, hmm, this is just not what I was expecting. It's that unexpectedness. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess the other, the other thing I, I also found out in terms of unexpected uh, texture was uh, what I referred to as some of the, the dangerous foods that I ran into with um, with uh, just introduction to uh, Argentinian cuisine. So I did not realize that in some cases empanadas uh, they contain olives, and those olives still have pits in them. So <laughs> apparently, this is a traditional way to do it. So I was just happily munching on this wonderfully uh, warm and crunchy empanada <laughs> right out of the fryer. And I bit into one of the olives inside, not realizing it still had a pit in it. And that was a very unexpected uh, texture sensation, which uh, which I quickly learned just to anticipate, okay, those olives are going to have pits in them. It's delicious, but you just have to be careful with these with yeah. these quote unquote, dangerous foods. <laughs>
2: but I think it's pretty amazing that you can stop yourself really quickly. So the sensors in your teeth, the force sensors, your nerves and your teeth, help you realize those things. And your brain immediately says, you need to retreat, open your mouth, don't compress anymore. You know, um, it can happen really, really quickly so that you don't injure yourself. That yes. kind of physiology that plays into textural aspects of food is, is, is really, really interesting. It has some interesting... Um, ramifications when we start aging and our teeth start giving out on us sometimes um, and you have to have things like implants and dentures and things like that where it's those nerves are no longer helping you because they're not there.
0: That could lead to be one of the more under-discussed reasons why the elderly lose appetite is because they lose their ability to really enjoy and sensationalize textures in food. And maybe that makes it less appealing.
1: Yeah. Plenty to look forward to, I suppose.
0: <laughs> That's when you get those
2: thick beverages.
1: <laughs> yes, apparently. Apparently so. Maybe I'm just getting a head start. Uh, well, one of the things that we wanted to, to mention was that as food scientists, of course we have our preferences, but one of the things that we think about are really the building blocks, the structures and the materials that we use that can make certain textures if we process them in a certain way, if we have the right set of ingredients or the amount of those ingredients. So this season, we wanna talk more about those ideas. So if we want something Really, really crunchy. We can emphasize, say, the formation of crystal structures or a structure that's like a glass that literally shatters when we bite into it.
0: What's an example of something like that?
1: Crème brûlée. Oh yes,
2: the creamy pudding with the caramelized sugar, thin layer caramelized sugar on the top that fractures. That's a great example of that one.
0: It's true that blackened caramelized sugar on top of the warm pudding is really what makes it my favorite. It stands out from all the other desserts because of that crunchy texture, but also has some sort of flavor that is so yummy.
1: And I think that's such a wonderful contrast. Just it is. That absolutely brittle exterior and then that wonderful creamy interior of the creme brulee. So certainly that's that's you know an interesting idea. And the other one is just how we think about it. So there's our human reaction, our personal reaction, our favorite textures, our least favorite textures. Um, but then of course, there are uh, studies that are done to try to figure out as a population, what's the best set of, uh, texture characteristics, say for breakfast cereal, just how crunchy should it be? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want, we don't want rocks. Um, or, and we don't want things that are just mushy before we even, you know, put milk or oat milk or whatever kind of thing you want to put on your cereal. Uh, so we, we don't want that either. So just getting the right texture is so, is so important. And so part of this is sensory. And the other part is really engineering, which is, I think, pretty cool. The science of rheology where... Really, we could we could be doing some of the tests, some of the same tests we might do on, say, the structure of concrete in a building or steel girders or what have you. Different types of building blocks. We could apply some of those some of those types of techniques to food and ask these questions. And it actually relates to our sense of, you know, how crunchy, how chewy, uh, how thick uh, something is yeah, so I think that's just really amazing that that yes. this idea of texture has so many applications to it.
2: I sat next to a guy on the plane once that um, I had just gone to out to California to learn how to use a new piece of equipment that happened to be measuring some of these texture type of elements in our food. Um, and he actually worked on the texture of lava Whoa. out of a volcano. And so how that lava moved and flowed and what properties changed with temperatures and things. And so it's that science, the science of rheology is applied through many industries, and and food is definitely one of them.
1: Well, it was interesting when I started uh, my summer reading list. So I was reading this book called Why Buildings Stand Up, and it's written by an architect, and it's really talking about all of the inner workings and in the structures of a building and I was reading this and I'm like oh my gosh this is exactly the same as food it's no. exactly the same it's just that the construction materials are are quite a bit different wood <laughs> or concrete or what have you rocks but, rocks, <laughs> rocks, but, but uh, we're a bit more limited in the food world where we're mostly dealing with carbohydrates and proteins and and lipids and water things of that nature but uh, certainly we still have our limited set of building blocks that we can use to make those those textures that we really like
0: That's really interesting that you compare the way food science builds and constructs food to the way that a building can be made or constructed it seems like there's a lot of different preferences out there in the way that maybe someone would like for it to be constructed. But um, based on, you know, physics or based on research, they have decided on a generally accepted structure. And uh, that can be played with depending on certain preferences. But due to the signs that they have, there is a certain formula of building blocks whether that be carbs or amino acids that will get us to the food structure that we ideally would like to see
2: yep you can get all kinds of different textures from systems where you have big chunks and particles of things like tomato sauce into things like cheese where you have an overriding three-dimensional network of sorts there and then different particles suspended within it like the fat in cheese and that impacts it a lot. If you've ever um, if you've ever eaten low fat or reduced fat cheese, you'll know that the texture <laughs> is very different, and the melting characteristics are very different. So, having those macromolecules in the right place and the right ratios, and interacting with each other correctly, is is very important to the structure of the food as well as the texture.
1: Yes, I realize there's a time and place for all of these things, but Low-fat cheese, light, <laughs> light beer, um, just just uh, just materials that that I think should be very rich and very uh, very rewarding. If they're a bit less so, at least compared to what I expect, then mm-hmm. then yes, it definitely it definitely changes my perception of the whole thing. And a lot of that is is really texture based. Mm-hmm. Especially with the cheese. oh yeah, that's very 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 yeah. very different texture from what you might yeah, expect. You, you
2: pull that fat out of the cheese and it's like a rubber ball. <laughs> like, it doesn't melt. it's extremely chewy.
0: <laughs> so oh man. Also when you take the gluten out of the bread, something happens in there to the structure that just makes it fall to pieces. Um, a sandwich is very hard to eat as a gluten-free person because it just crumbles before your eyes, before you even bite into it, essentially. Um, so there is something happening with the structure of gluten-free bread that is still much needed to be progressed on. I, I'm, they are getting much better at it as research goes uh, deeper into the gluten-free world. But yeah, the substitution there is really noticeable.
2: It makes a big, big difference.
1: Well, since since you're a, a a big crunch fan, you you must be you know really interested in these ideas of of how you can make foods crunchier. So obviously we have toasts and things like that, but it's really interesting when you intentionally stale foods, mm-hmm. so that so when you try to make those foods get crunchier. Of course, tortillas that have that have kind of overnighted, that have survived, uh, survived the the last dinner of the day are often, uh, shredded and then turned into chilaquiles, which is a wonderful breakfast, uh, where you would have those wonderful fried shredded tortillas and they're, they're really nicely crunchy along with some kind of meat and sauce and cheese on top. Absolutely delicious. So, I think that's that's really a, a, a nice application where you intentionally um, intentionally stale to get this this particular texture that you might like.
2: Yeah, there's there's definitely lots of ways to go about it. There's there's actually been research done that shows that if you get that um, textural complexity where you have crunchy things or chewy things or things that are palatable where you don't really need your teeth, if you have all of that together then it's more satiating, so you feel fuller later, um, than if it's just one-dimensional. So having lots of different textures um, in one product alone makes a a big difference in, in how our body perceives it, how our mind is playing into our consumption of it. So I think that's really interesting, that psychological bit that comes into um how we interact with our food and it makes a difference physiologically to us.
1: Well and and you were mentioning the the elderly and some of the issues that they may have with with chewing or or anyone who really who who loses significant portion of their of their of their teeth or uh, or something along that line. But I think on the other side of the age spectrum there are textural preferences that adults probably would not share. So I think I think that the very young really like uniform texture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They, they yeah. don't like a lot of different different variations in texture. They just want one general texture to that to that material that they're consuming.
2: Yeah, I know when my daughter was younger, I I made all of her food and not not because of any reason other than I just liked to cook and so it was something new and challenging to do. Um, but she would not. Eat, she would not eat whole muscle. So, cut up chicken breast wouldn't eat that. But you gave her something like a Vienna sausage and she would consume that. So, that fibrous texture of the meat was was really unpleasant to her. Um, And whether it was because of her her teeth or her detention that she just didn't have the, the proper equipment that she needed to consume that or not. I don't know what the motivation was, but there's a large area of research that talks about introduction of different textures of foods and how um, how you move through that paste-like consistency to chunkiness and greater size in the chunks and distribution of sizes in, in the, the paste um, that can really impact a person's preferences as they get older and their food consumption habits so it it makes a difference
0: (laughs) I can imagine as parents it's hard to find that fine line between introducing your kids slowly to new textures and therefore new flavors but also keeping them familiar with things they're comfortable with you don't want to put them off guard so fast that they're not willing to try new foods and then that becomes habit into their adulthood
1: yeah absolutely
0: and as we get into our season we are going to talk so much about what influences uh, texture preferences not only as a kid but all the way up into elderly adulthood and food science can have a huge impact on how those populations digest and absorb their food just the way that a food is structurally built can be critical to the way that the body Uh, metabolizes that.
1: One of the interesting things about food processing Mm -hmm. is that in a way it can be a form of pre-digestion or it can be a form of changing the texture of food such that it makes it more easily digestible for us. And so the idea of chopping, of of reducing particle size, of making uh, paste or purees or sauces or things of this nature out of formally solid foods you think of applesauce or pie filling, things of this nature, is one way of actually increasing the digestibility of materials. And we can actually go the opposite way and decrease the digestive capacity of those materials by making the texture more difficult to to break down. Uh, I think a natural example, which I thought was just really cool, was uh, back when I was working at USDA, they were starting to do some studies on almonds. And if you chemically analyze almonds for their calorie content, uh, which is typically done by a combustion method, literally you would burn the food to figure out how much heat energy it has and that translates to calories. Well, the way that humans chew is not incredibly efficient at breaking down these crunchy foods like almonds. And so the study study in essence reported that we get about 60% of the calories that we consume from those almonds based on their chemical calorie content. So we're just not efficient at breaking down some structures, for instance, like those uh, rather crunchy almond structures. So
2: everybody is different,
1: right? So
2: how many times you chew versus how many times I chew and how many times Teresa chew, those are on one particular mouthful of food, those are all gonna be different. And if you chew more, you will get more calories out of your food because you pre-digested it in essence more and there's more surface area for your body to work on as it moves through the process.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I have to say that, that makes me think of my grandmom where she would sit down and start eating and everybody in the family would be done and she would still be there for about another hour. She <laughs> carefully chewed her food. Mm-hmm. Literally a plate of food would take at least twice as much time for her to eat as it would everyone else. So just a incredibly careful chewer and a couple of my aunts apparently have the same characteristic. They do take not quite as much time as my grandma did, but they do take quite a bit of time. It's just interesting to see as you indicated like how much time some take to consume and others just um how should we say wolf down their food <laughs> just literally yes. as fast as possible um, which I think would probably describe my teenagers <laughs> yeah. yeah and it makes
2: a difference to to the whole digestion process. It's not just you know how you eat and how quickly it happens, but it has implications for digestion in the stomach and in the intestines and how much nutrition you get out of your food and how much caloric value there is there just like you were talking about an almond butter would be like where they have ground the almonds up completely would provide more calories than you chewing up the hard crunchy uh, roasted almonds. So it, it may has implications for the entire system.
0: <laughs> Everyone's got their preference for one reason or another it sounds like.
1: Yes absolutely and in that case I would absolutely go for the almonds although I would take peanut butter over roasted peanuts, but I would take whole roasted almonds over almond butter. I have no idea why, but texture is a very individual thing.
2: It is, definitely. It's a lot for the food industry to figure out.
0: (laughs) Well, they can always reference the Wolfing Down Food Science team to hear our preferences. We have a strong Team Crunchy versus Strong, team Creamy on the individual sides of the rink. And I'm sure throughout the season, we're going to hear a lot more about those preferences as we dive into some of the great topics that we have in store for this season. All of our topics are going to be on food structure and what makes them so important in the food science industry. We're going to mention things about flavor, population preferences, how it affects chewing, digestion and even thermal processing. And that is just an overview of some of the topics we'll have in store. So thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of season two of Wolfing Down Food Science. We are so happy to have you and see you in the next one. If you'd like to find out more about our podcast Wolfing Down Food Science, Please check us out at NCSU's Food Bioprocessing and Nutrition Science website, where you can find our show notes, reference links, and more. You can find out more about NC State, our department, and FS201, the amazing course that has brought us all together, on our website as well. Please don't forget to subscribe to Wolfing Down Food Science, wherever you stream your podcasts like Spotify and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Wolfing Down Food Science. See you next time.